Welcome back to Mind the Music. I am so happy that you decided to tune in. It means a lot to me because I feel supported by you on this journey of well-being, awareness, and electronic music. Now, before we dive into this episode, real quick, I want to share with you a free guided meditation I created. I meditate every day, and I think you should too. It doesn't have to be complicated, and you don't need to sit on your meditation pillow an hour a day to get the most out of meditating. It just takes consistent practice through a daily commitment and just 10 minutes of your time. My guided meditation is designed to help you to stay grounded and focused throughout your day and with any activity, whether it's work, making music, or handling life balancing issues. You can do it anytime, anywhere. You can even do it in a toilet stall. Grab your free copy at bit.ly forward slash tum free meditation. That's bit.ly forward slash T-U-M free meditation. I hope you'll enjoy it. And now it's time to dive into this episode of Mind the Music. To overthrow this woman. You've got to change your program. Cause Jaja got the old wide world. He's got the whole world in his hands. Leave me alone, wicked man. Why you want to bite off more than you can chew? How long will you go on? Oh, na na na. Leave me, yeah. 
So today we will be talking about being a DJ mom, balancing life, DJing and motherhood, the challenges that my guests of today faced in a male-dominated sector and what happened after her son left the nest. Welcome to the show, Auntie Maureen. How are you? I'm really good and I'm really, really chuffed to be here talking about a life as a DJ yeah, and thank a mom. You. Yeah, and a woman, especially, especially <laughs> all of those things. Thank you so much for being here. So, for those of uh, of uh, the people that are listening who don't know you yet, let's just do a little introduction. So, who are you, and what are you doing in the music industry? My current artist name is Auntie Maureen, but it's a reincarnation from a previous name, Caesar Mo. Uh, I have always been a jobbing DJ, meaning I've always jobbed uh, regularly from the late 80s until today, 2019 we're at now. Um, there have been various uh, reinventions, um, Madonna style, um, thinking strategically how I can continue participating in club culture. <clears throat> I define my work environment as, as club culture. Um, and those various reinventions have come about through not being able to get involved and achieve my level of participation and un unlock my own education and my own skills against particular environments. Um, my current DJ job description, I, I, yeah, it's, 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 it, I call it now, I have, I have a portfolio of services. So, being quite long in the tooth about DJing, I am able to supply loads of different kinds of club environments and bar environments. But what has really unlocked my potential has been uh, buying a wind-up gramophone in about nine years ago, ten years ago, and uh, launching myself as Auntie Maureen and seeking work in the vintage industry where crazily enough my appearance was everything you trade on appearance and on expert knowledge because what you sell is an experience but the um that the appearance is not based in it's not anchored in the male gaze it's anchored in entertainment so it's, it's historically really ancient and uh, significant um, my gender has been a non-issue and on top of that I've been able to switch on all my academic education and my training and grow into being an expert in my field. So now I'm um, 
I call it a heritage DJ. In some uh, environments, it's a vintage DJ, where I play very 1940s swing and 50s R&B. But in other environments, it's very immersive, very performative, where I'm an installation piece. And in yet other environments, it is based around deep original research through archives and unlocking interesting scripts. And in my case, it's always from the experience or driven by um, the female uh, lens mm -hmm. of either the archival material or the music selection or the narrative that I develop out of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's where so I'm at. <laughs> that's really very exciting. And I want to um, kind of go a little bit deeper into the last point because on your Facebook profile bio, it says, um, wait, let me grab it here. It says, amplifying gender parity in DJ culture. Do you want to speak into that a little bit more? Yes, I'd love to. The, I live and breathe, eat and sleep gender parity. And it's been a couple of years of unpacking and decoding. And of course, I'm still unpacking and decoding. But there was a, a light bulb moment, taking it just actually before the light bulb moment, there was a, a moment it, it, years and years and years ago, because of my own experience of gender discrimination and being held back in my own ambitions in participating in electronic um, club cultures and industries, um, I have always said like, we women should stick together. That was one of the things I used to say. Um, but I, um, I also noticed that every interface where I was engaging with club culture, so either in an actual physical club or at a festival or dealing with a promoter or going into record stores, women were never visible. Not in the roles of experts, not as employees, not as owners of these businesses and therefore the power and knowledge structures. Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice, this is like years ago, early, early noughties, wouldn't it be nice if we had our own environment? So I, I touted, floated the idea of creating like a book club for women, but instead of it being about a book club, it being like a listening club. It never kind of, never, never really got off the ground and the idea stuck around. And then some six years, five years ago, it started coming to the forefront again. You know, everything is so amplified through Twitter and other social media channels. So it's very easy to tap into other women who you can um, align yourself with, mm -hmm. either through direct connections or just through allyship or by following their knowledge and their power structures. And I thought to myself, I think this is the time for this listening circle. So we started it off. But I needed a, a motto that explained, or like a line that explained in one go, what this listening group was about. Mm -hmm. And so it was very uh, quickly about promoting women, promoting music by women, or remixed or composed or played or released by women. But it wasn't ever meant to be an exclusive club. Mm. Because I think the problem that we have, I, I love women, uh, spaces and uh, and and I I would still I will still create them and I will still participate in them. But what I want to do is I have always talked about women's spaces historically. I now want to move on because if the message needs to go out there for other people to learn and to decode and to unpack, 
we do need to have allies. And so, for starters, if you look at intersectionality, what defines a woman in the first place? I don't believe, and this will be controversial for some people, I don't believe that a woman is defined, defined by her womb. Mm -hmm. Because to begin with, if I was to be defined by my womb, but I have my womb removed because of health problems, then would that make me any less of a woman? Mm -hmm. If it's defined by fertility, I am now hitting the menopause, does that mean I can no longer participate as a woman? I don't always identify as a woman alone. So who am I to say that somebody else who feels more of a dual uh, gender orientation or no orientation at all but doesn't want to align themselves with male spaces mm -hmm. they should still be welcome the point is that what we're trying to break down is patriarchy and so in that all these experiences for people who identify as non-binary or as women self-defined not biologically determined not by an external group of, of, of judges who say that you can or can't be a woman mm -hmm. but if you look at all these ways of identifying these are all strategies in firstly surviving and coping with patriarchy and next resolving the oppression that exists within that power structure so for me gender parity was the perfect word to say this is a space where gender equality and parity is also economic equality mm -hmm. not just symbolic Gender parity is the place where everybody who um, comes into the space, who I collaborate with, we find ways of all paying each other. It may not be a lot, but nobody works for free. Mm -hmm. um, we all respect each other regardless of how we define, as long as it's not heteronormative cisgender male. Yeah. Um, and I decided to put the umbrella of DJ culture over uh, record shops, online sites, music blogs, uh, boiler room, resident advisor, uh, all these massive platforms, all the smaller platforms for me fall under DJ culture. Okay. We're not going to go into the word culture because that's just another <laughs> whole, whole <laughs> cauldron of mess. Yes, <laughs> true. No, it's really interesting that you uh, mentioned this about um, not being defined by uh, external sources but self-defined um, yeah. you know whichever way you want to define yourself because I was reading this article uh, it was an interview with laid-back Luke's wife and okay. it was an interview with her and one of the questions was what is it like to be a female DJ um, you know in this environment and her answer was one of the hardest things about being a DJ that's female is the gimmick aspect of it can't we just be DJs and leave gender out of it? And I really loved that response because I do feel sometimes that it's becoming a little bit more hyped and it's becoming pinpointed when you are interviewed as a DJ. Why aren't male DJs being asked about what is it, be, what is it like to be a male DJ? I mean, it shouldn't be about that aspect. And I do like that you're speaking into that, that we don't want to be defined by external um, ideas, external sources, and we don't want other people to impose their worldview onto us. We have, you know, we are, we are our own person and we can decide ourselves how we want to go about it. So I really like your philosophy about it. And I do agree that some people will probably find it a little bit, uh, I don't know, controversial or won't agree with it. But then again, that really makes for a nice debate. And I think we should have 
yeah. have healthy debates about this. We don't yet live in a meritocracy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, the conversation that you, Eileen, and I are having is still set within um, a, a Eurocentric uh, cultural space. We are fairly safe in our choices. I can, I can pretty much living in London, I can choose one day to uh, project myself with um, more male identifiers and, and play around with being more manly, which I do sometimes as part of my queer identity. Because <clears throat> the interesting thing is that it, the, the gender identification um, is constantly evolving for me. And I, uh, I researched the strategies out of uh, queer debates and queer theory, but also out of intersectional theories, because I'm still, even though I am a woman, I'm still 1% of the world in terms of affluence, mm-hmm. access to education, access to economic opportunities. And therefore, in the process of me bringing or fighting for women politically and economically and ideologically, um, I know that when I achieve some uh, platform in, in, in some way, small way, that everybody else beside me needs to come up with me. I have access and I, I don't want to be the leader. And that's why at the moment I'm, I'm dwelling a little bit more in my own creative spaces because I do realize there's privilege in being able to shout about these things. So it's everything is about power. Mm-hmm. And I believe as well, for me, my life experience is that everything is about gender. So as a, from a political, ideological and economical point of view, I am a woman. From a personal point of view, in my own immediate life and circle, and increasingly more culturally, I identify as queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in my you head utopia so in my own <laughs> thought world i do away with all pronouns because i actually don't like tags which is how i ended up in club culture in the first place and why i ran away from the netherlands in 1990 to live in london because i could live without having to explain and identify myself mm-hmm. that's again but that's a freedom in other parts of the world I, again i don't have that choice mm-hmm. yeah so it, it filters into all my my uh, my thought practices. It filters in my modus operandi, but it also filters into um, who I choose to work with, mm-hmm. who I align myself with, how I build my creative output, uh, my music collection. And again, it's taken something like four or five years. I if I do historical work, I will aim for a 50-50 representation of female artists. People don't need to know that the women. I'm just making them visible because visibility is everything. Exactly. Or audible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I do disco gigs and electronic gigs, no, when I do electronic gigs, I play 99% women and queer and non-binary mm-hmm. producers and remixers only. Okay. This goes a bit tricky because uh, um, uh, it was an era where women were window dressers. The 1970s were, were not great for the visibility of women as uh, label owners or musicians. Mm. 
disco was really sexy, but it was very much about putting women in in the window of that. Yeah. As as the voice, but also as the gear, the object of the gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've spoke spoken about a lot of interesting aspects of your identity now. Um, let's speak about another aspect and it's motherhood. So I'm yeah. really curious to hear um, first and foremost, how has motherhood changed you as a person? Mm, to say, to, to assess and to explain how motherhood has changed me as a person is impossible because it is how I live. Um, how it's, ch it's, it's changing me back. Um, at the moment, it, my personal journey is to, and I'm seeing a therapist, uh, to unlearn to be the emotional laborer, not just in my relationship to my 26-year-old son, but also in relationship to the world. Mm. Because by being, by adopting the role and being assigned the role of emotional laborer, if you're always gluing the world together, if you're always rescuing, if you're always caring, if you're always picking up the pieces and you're doing the, the small jobs, the admin jobs, you I, I can't speak for other people, but I am not fulfilling neither my education nor my creative potential nor my life experiences. Then nothing, none of that will be switched on. Mm -hmm. um, I have always felt that becoming a mum was all of me and it was beyond being in a relationship. The relationship was a means to an end. <laughs> <laughs> and the end was being a mum. Yeah. I did embark on relationships to try and create the atomic model of, mm. uh, you know, family unity. But I realized when I, you know, I was following very blindly how I was socialized as a younger woman. And then when I look back and I raised my son alone, and it was. Um, do you know the expression by Louise Bourgeois, the artist? I've been yeah. to hell and back. But it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> my my amazing son TJ and I have been to hell and back. Yeah. I think it was wonderful. He's still learning that because he's younger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm, how has it changed me? Um, I tell you what. I, I there was an immediate change. I remember there was one moment when. Um, we were staying in somebody else's house initially and TJ's father was still around and then we moved into, we were housed in a social housing flat in East London. It was a one bedroom flat and um, my son's father had gone off to work and I was breastfeeding and I was so intensely fulfilled by the role that I had and it wasn't, I wasn't even intellectually thinking, querying this, I was just sitting on the bed holding like a tiny little creature on my chest which had finished breastfeeding and had kind of nozzled himself in between my my breasts and it was like a tiny little package and i'm looking at him and all of a sudden it struck me <laughs> and i remember thinking holy cow i have to keep this alive <laughs> oh my god this is moment where i thought oh shit. I cannot drop the ball now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
the whole romantic ideal of like, oh, let's have a baby, I'm going to be a mom, this fell away and it was all about, if I don't breastfeed, this baby's going to die. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's that must have felt so huge, that moment. It was huge. Oh my God. So, okay. I bricks. <laughs> <laughs> but so this was, so your son is now in his 20s, adulting um, pretty much, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so if you look back, so you were a mother, you were DJing already. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you balance all of that? Like what, what were, what was your life like back then? What were your days looking like as DJing, being a mom and balancing all the other life stuff. Can you speak into that a little bit more? Yes, um, balancing DJing and being a mom came a little bit later. Uh, when TJ was first born, um, I was very much in the middle of the, the immediacy of uh, having a newborn child, um, trying to uh, carry through uh, and build a long-term relationship. And uh, my son's father is of Jamaican heritage, second generation. And we were both acutely aware of the disadvantages that we were facing uh, as an interracial couple uh, and living on a council estate in a one bedroom flat. And he lived in retail management and that's what I had come out of for maternity leave. Um, I had dropped out of university before because I was partying way too much back in my Dutch Amsterdam days. <laughs> so I fell out of my university degree initially and I said, okay, well, how about I go back? And we practically arranged it. So um, we swap roles. I go to university, I become the main breadwinner and you can scale your those the horrible exploitative retail hours back and become the house dad, which was on, on paper a really good plan. It didn't work out that way. Um, there was a lot of resistance to the change but in the meantime i just kept trucking forward with the idea applied for university got a place and started a degree and the summer i started the degree the, by the september our relationship was in crisis um i was able to adapt to the change but um, my son's father fell behind And I made a very selfish decision to prioritize my education because that was the future of my child over falling into the poverty trap Mm -hmm. that it would have been to stay together and not push my university degree through. So um, we negotiated um, an exit for both of us. I went to university and (laughs) the first thing I did from my student loan, because I was very lucky to be the last group to have a full um, dependent grant and student loan in the UK. Well, the student loan wasn't lucky. Um, I shipped all my records over from the Netherlands because they were in storage in my parents' attic, as all records are supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) And then I bought a pair of turntables fell into rent arrears because obviously I didn't pay the rent and uh, kind of ended up in a a, a long-term journey negotiating a degree that kept being postponed or postponed because I had lost my father to cancer during that same period and then both my grandparents his parents died because they were upset to lose their child 
and I burned out because I was also partying and DJing and carrying a degree and a child. How did I do it? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, but I muddled on. Yeah. I have been so stubborn in the past about the end goal. The end goal doesn't have to be big. It's not having a massive bank account or owning a house. It's more about um, uh, the, the, the cultural identity and the creativity that I need to be. It was, it's always been, yeah, actually this is interesting to talk to you about. It's always been about personal fulfillment mm-hmm. and personal growth. Being yeah. the best human being that I can be. Financially, can I swear? Sure. By the way? <laughs> Go for it. it. Financially, it was a shithole. Emotionally, it was fraught. Um, I had a few crashes emotionally. But then I've always been resourceful. I've been a bit of a hustler. And so I realized very quickly that if I DJed at the weekends, like a Friday or a Saturday night, then I would be free during the week. So I was always able to do the school run in the morning and the school run in the afternoon. Um, while being a university student and I was also able to help other mothers who had to leave work and start at 8 a.m. or you know 9 a.m. So I was like a mother goose having all these children running behind me taking them to two different primary schools and in return they would babysit for me at the weekend. Oh yeah I was going to ask that like how would you yeah okay that's really interesting. So it was a yeah. stroke of genius all the women uh, in solidarity, clubbing together. We all lived on a council estate. We were all, uh, and one other mom was also a single parent with three children. And the other mom that I uh, uh, worked with, cooperated with, was um, a midwife. So she had to work extreme hours in mm. hospital and night shift. So between the three of us, we juggled our childcare. I did the school run for both of them. And they did babysitting at the weekend. Wow. So I've always, I've always DJed, mm-hmm. but it's been being a DJ that has been the resource. So it, it, because we, it, being a DJ gave me certain privileges in terms of time that I could swap and barter with as an economic resource with the other moms. That's really interesting. Uh, suddenly the, the line last night a DJ saved my life is in my head right now. I don't know why, but it feels like <laughs> DJing kind of saved your life at the time. You know, at that moment in time. So wow. Really really DJing. Yeah. yeah. DJing was the the ritual, the dance floor, because part of DJing for me personally is I, I have to dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be on a dance floor anonymously and 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 worship uh, I get that the whole tribal experience and um, doing the DJing meant that I could make that economically viable but also that I could participate in a way that was more substantial than um, being than passing through as a as a dance floor passenger mm-hmm. yeah yeah so your son as he grew up, did he understand that you were a DJ? Did he know what that was about? How, how? <laughs> <laughs> okay, share, tell me more. I'm curious. 
I don't know if it's in my son's nature or whether I, I, I raised him well, but he slept through all my DJ sets because obviously that was in the, in the time when we all still played vinyl. Oh, I can tell you so many gorgeous stories. He was like my sidekick. We would go record shopping in Soho. And there was one time, it's like bad mother, bad mother. Um, he <laughs> was with me and I was in this record store and I knew the boys that ran the shop. So it was all cool. And my son had this little Game Boy with him and I'm rummaging through the, the record racks searching for vinyl. And I'm like, where's my son? Asking the guys behind the counter. And they're like, oh, he's, he's, he's underneath the shelves over there. He, he crawled in there to go to sleep. And I was like, oh, bad mother, bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'm tired. I'm just going to lie in this corner under this record oh, shelf. <laughs> that is so cute, though. <laughs> no, I know, but I was so embarrassed. Oh, oh God. my gosh. You got so caught up with digging for records. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he was hanging out with me and he had been out with me all day, fair mm -hmm. enough. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and there was another record store he used to love going to, it used to be called Flying Records. And the guys in there were, were really friendly with TJ and I used to club promote as well. So I'd come into town to get my records and do my little round, leave posters, leave flyers. And they would always be like, ah, just leave TJ, go off and do your thing. And I'd come back and all the boys would be in the middle of the store playing cricket, <laughs> including, <laughs> including my son. Oh, that is so nice, though. That, that really gives me like warm, fuzzy feelings, you know, community, community coming together and taking yeah. care of each other. Yeah, that's so nice. That's, that's an interesting thing to say. I hadn't actually thought about that. For all my complaining about how the gender inequality also locked off my access, when I had forged ties with people, the fact that I came with a, a child was kind of like um, the deal. It was, you know, TJ was, was, was the kid that everybody um, loved to spend time with. Um, then when, and I also I was involved with the the start of the David Mancuso loft parties in London mm -hmm. uh, and he was the first child to run around on the dance floor playing with the balloons and then he became when he was older he became my because we did the wardrobe um, the cloakroom sorry we did the cloakroom and then TJ got employed and he was my cloakroom buddy um, but what was interesting was my son gravitated into music as well uh, and he is an electronic music producer in addition obviously having to work to pay the rent but he makes his own music mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't DJ much at the moment but he's, he's dabbled into DJing too I'm pretty sure he has a vast knowledge of music but what's been interesting I was uh, at um, an event and ran into somebody I have known since my early London days. They were a bunch of guys, promoters and producers and DJs that used to come to Amsterdam when I had first moved here and I would see them back in the clubs there and I'd know them over here. And sometimes I would organize for them to crash out at my sister's place in Amsterdam. And we were at this event and I hadn't seen him in a while. I'm not going to mention any names, but it's someone who should know better. Uh, because they run a new music sharing platform and, and, and should know about diversity. Mm. 
then he leant over and we said, hello. And he said, how are you doing? And I said, fine. And then he said, how is your son? I said, great. And he said, what is he up to? So I said, well, he's in Leeds. He's trying to pursue a music degree and he's making music. Bearing in mind that my relationship with this person has always been on the basis that I've always been a DJ and I've done elements of production, I've been a club promoter, so we are supposed to be equal colleagues. So I said, yeah, TJ's making music. He said, oh, great. Whenever he's ready, send him to me. I'll, 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 I'll hook him up. So I looked to him and I said to him, how about you hook me up first? Yeah. Well, and he looked at me, he said, what do you mean? I said to him, well, why would you hook my son up, but not me? Do you know how sexist that is? Mm. And I just decided I'm not going to have these conversations. I'm not going to play any more industry games and smile at people and be standing there and have people talk over my head. And then when another male comes into the conversation, who's my offspring, all of a sudden you want to do me the favor of hooking up my son with your industry contacts and maybe, I don't know, mastering his tracks for him or God knows whatever else, but never ever taking me serious in my work, mm. not doing it anymore. Mm. Have you had so, conversations to your with your son about this this topic that we're discussing now? Like, are you are you talking about these things amongst yourselves? My my son TJ and I we talk a lot about the the difficulties, the gender inequality. But what's at the moment difficult about our relationship is that for all the intelligence and all the ideology and all the great ideas that you impart as a parent mm -hmm. we are surrounded our environments our educational system our working lives are so entrenched and so infused with patriarchy that my son nods in allyship in these conversations he can talk back using the right language but he doesn't see it mm. do you think it's an age thing or I think I, I'm pretty sure because I raised him well mm -hmm. and I think for him it is an age thing he needs to experience some life events because I know that the eye-openers for me have been life events right or talking to a particular person at a particular moment in time. I've had light bulb moments sitting in lectures at university where intellectually I made a, a connection. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very, very difficult when uh, the power structures are so naturalized mm. in our environment. We often hear when people complain about their oppression, uh, very often people will respond ignorantly by saying, well, boys will be boys, or, well, that's just how it is. No. Boys can change, and how it is, is maintained by cultural practices and ideology and power structures. Yeah, and these and things can all change. Yeah, and it's so, as you said, it's so established that for example, I can imagine in your son's situation, it's just blocking his perception awareness of these these issues. And yeah, as you said, it's probably going to take some personal experiences for him to break through that and to grow in that way, and which will be a natural part of his life and his life cycle, I imagine. He has um, 
really talented friends who uh, also work in media um, some of those lovely and they're all lovely young people lovely young men some of them are cameramen for boiler room others run drum and bass label uh, yet uh, others run multimedia companies and uh, they go to festivals they do the, the the whole all the packages all the elements of the media industry but more specifically within uh, a club culture and the music industry and they're all I've seen them grow from young teenagers into really talented young men but none of them except for one who is a filmmaker and he runs his company with his girlfriend none of them actively choose to work with women mm. not on their festival lineups not when they release music on their drum and bass label not when my son goes in the studio to make beats not yes he works with uh female singers they just yeah i'm rolling my eyes to that as yeah, well. me too <laughs> it, it, um oh I, it silences me mm. it absolutely silences me because i know that all these young men have come from environments where their mothers have been forces of nature mm-hmm. who have raised them through losing their fathers to illness uh, or uh, other situations where the mothers have just been super switched on politically engaged creative expressive and they just fall into it mm. and if i reduce my relationship with the world to the the very private intimate uh, lived experience of living with my son until earlier this year because we have changed our living arrangement i asked him to move out and it was very simply reduced to me as the mother always being the only one ever in all of our time of living together i was only ever the only one who sat in front of the toilet bowl on my hands and knees cleaning everybody's waste off the toilet bowl nobody else in this house cleans the toilet bowl mm. and that to me in a nutshell is so symbolic of the oppression and i this is i i, I am not angry with my son um i'm also not angry with his friends mm-hmm. but there's this massive blind spot where they just don't see that it, it is their mothers who clean yeah their waste off the toilet bowl mm. for everyone in that household mm-hmm. why am i reduced to that shitty role uh, you say i am not angry with my son how do you feel about it what what are the feelings that are coming up in that situation for you especially when it comes to your relationship with your son in that i feel sad mm. because i know that it this this is not and again what what we talked about is the intimacy of living at home the privacy of your lived mm-hmm. intimate relationships mm-hmm. but they are completely symbolic of how then the next time you reach out to your immediate world and then you reach out to your professional world and yeah. then you reach out to your cultural world all these things these it's symbolic of all the relationships that exist the further you move away from the privacy of your home right 
I think it is a massive loss to my son and his male friends that they are not able to move to um, a more equal relationship with their mothers, their sisters, and should they choose to have girlfriends with their girlfriends. Mm -hmm. It means that how they look at the world, what they don't even question because it is so naturalized, means that they will inadvertently and, and, and unconsciously always oppress their most cherished people. Hmm. And that is heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking, yeah. Because it means that they are also, as human beings, broken. And I see a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of drug abuse, there's a lot, there's a lot of drink abuse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the definition of manhood is not coming up to par to the emancipation that women are pushing for. Mm. Yeah. The classic, my mother nags all the time. Is it's in that all my girlfriend nags all the time, or my wife nags all the time. Women don't nag. Women are crying inside and they are desperately asking over and over and over again. Come on, just step up to the plate. Just to be clean heard. the toilet. Yeah, to yeah. be heard, basically. Yeah. Just clean that toilet. Mm -hmm. Don't reduce my life to being the doormat of our home. And mm -hmm. then to the outside world, we look like a happy family, mm -hmm. but behind that closed door. And this is not about domestic violence. This is just about power structures. Yeah, for sure. But it's assuming that uh, certain people have to be in certain roles, you know. Yeah. Don't assume making... and, makes, and makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> that's the word, assume. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. So how does that make me feel? Uh, at the moment, I I am hopeful mm -hmm. because I see so many really interesting things happening and perhaps it's not my role as a... Well, no, it's absolutely not my role anymore as a mother of an adult to young adult, but adult nevertheless. It's not my role anymore to explain these things. My role now is to live my life and to unlock my potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually really interesting because that was going to be my question because the interesting thing I think about having this conversation with you is that you have gone through this, you know, you've, you've um, raised your son and now he, he left the house and then I was like, okay, and that, now what? It's kind of like what happens after quote-unquote motherhood, again, quote-unquote, because now you, you, you get to kind of, I don't know, should I see it as restart your life or um, move forwards in a new way or how should I see this? I find this really interesting to talk about. It's a combination of restarting and moving forward. Again, it's a whole process of unlearning. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 50 two years ago, I wanted to mark the occasion not by spending lots of money and throwing a big party, not by... Um, I, you know, I, not by drawing attention to myself as much as I like standing on a stage and playing music and people knowing <laughs> that I'm leading them on their journey with the dance floor. Um, people don't have to fuss over me as long as I have a friendship space and every once in a while feed me and I'm happy. Um, that recharges my, my little battery. 
But I wanted to mark the occasion because I wanted to work my way through and grab the symbolic figure of 50 as a point of departure. I needed to turn around my own ideas, the socialization around aging, uh, hitting the menopause. Of course, you're redefining also in terms of you are losing your fertility. So mm -hmm. you're no longer uh, the, um, the, the, the candidate for starting families. Uh, your motherhood definition evolves. All these things come together. Really cool. Really Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But stretching and um, people will say, oh, you'll always be a mother. And then I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. actually the thing I want to shed. Mm -hmm. So I had a ceremony with friends as witnesses and I conducted a sologamy, which is a, a self wedding. And I had a friend, uh, uh, execute the ceremony by uh, just calling ceremoniously calling the moments where I wanted to share the, the journey so I went through all my diaries because I keep journals and diaries and I picked up key um, entries that I read out and then we had a little ceremonies and then I wet myself yay and then I had a massive house party and it's loads of fun but my son gave me away Oh, that's so beautiful. It was really beautiful. And he was initially like, really like, oh, you know, well, I'm going to give my mum away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and then the closer it got to the date, the more nervous he became. Really? And he was, he was really nervous. Yes, he was really, really nervous. And he symbolically gave me away and we had beautiful conversations. And he said, this is the point of departure for both of us because I also need to grow up and let you go. Oh. But I know my son. My son resists developmental stages. He always has done from when he was a small child. There would be, there would be a period of regressing where he would fall back into a younger age and just become really childish and just resist having to uh, embrace his next emotional development and his physical development and his intellectual development. Mm -hmm. That has always been his pattern. Um, and at the moment he's resisting. So I have moved forward. I have raced forward with this idea that I am completely ceremoniously committed to me and to the growth that comes with that. And I am learning that I love as much as I have always loved, but I'm not emotionally gluing the world together, neither for my son mm -hmm. nor for other people that put me in that role. So I'm trying to tap into the naive me from when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I want to rekindle that level of um, curiosity yeah. and innocence I, and that's stopping my thoughts. So whenever I'm faced with a new situation, I don't want to say, Hmm, well, well, I should measure this up and then uh, should be careful about that and, and plan the outcome. No, I should just go ahead and experiment with life. I think um, that is such a beautiful philosophy to have. And I think that's really a great tip for everybody out there to just try and apply. Just go ahead and experiment with life. 
I really love that. Um, I think it's really beautiful to, to use that as a roundup, um, as a, I would say, um, a, a well-being and a mindfulness tip for everybody out there listening. I just have one more question for you. What would yeah. be your number one tip for any mom, any DJ mom out there who is listening right now? Like in one sentence, what would be your one number one tip for any DJ mom out there? Ooh, good question. I want to try and be really practical and efficient with my wording. <laughs> I'm going to list a number of actions as if it's one phrase. Prioritize sleep. Mm. Sleep is sacred. In the winter months, get daylight in your face and take vitamin D. Surround yourself only with people who believe in you as a DJ, because being a mom is what everybody believes you are already anyway. And last but not least, you are powerless over the people around you. And in the same token, they're powerless over you. And I mean, in, 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 with that phrase, I mean, don't let anybody occupy your mind your energy and your time. Think about the immediate urgency of the care, the primary care of your child or children, but also apply that primary care to you and anybody who is in your head mm -hmm. is taking away your power, you're giving them power. And by doing that, you will cause mental health issues, you will potentially fall into a depression and what the hell are negative thoughts doing in the sanctity of your beautiful mind anyway yeah so that's it sleep vitamin d or daylight keep your mind sacred and apply primary care to your offspring and to yourself Beautiful, beautiful. That's really a beautiful way to end this conversation. This wonderful conversation. It was so inspiring and so interesting and just so beautiful. Thank you so, so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for letting me shout about my, my, my gender ideas. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
not want art for a few, any more than education for a few, or freedom for a few. I do not want art for a few, any more than education for a few, or freedom for a few. I do not want art for a few, any more than education for a few, or freedom for a few. Simplicity of life. I do not want art for a few. Any more than education for a few. I do not want art or freedom for a few. Any more than education for a few. Or freedom for a few. Simplicity of life. I do not want art for a few. I do not want more than education for a few. Any more than education for a few. Or freedom. I do not want art for a few. I do not want more than education for a few. Any more than education for a few. Or freedom. I do not want art for a few. I do not want art. I do not want art for a few. I do not want art. I do not want art for a few. 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 Lest its soul should perish, where mirth is a crime, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, lest its soul should perish, where no babe we cherish, forgetting the world is fair and dull we grovel. Where home is a hovel, our love a snare. Lest its soul should perish, forgetting the world is fair. Where home is a hovel, where mirth is a crime. Where no babe we cherish, and dull we grovel, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, where home is a hovel, where no babe we cherish, where home is a hovel, where no babe we cherish, where mirth is a crime, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, where home is a hovel, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, where mirth is a crime. Where mirth is a crime, where mirth is a crime, our love a snare, our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, 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 our love a snare. Where mirth is a crime, 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 where mirth is a crime. Their mouth is a charm. 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 Down amongst the dead men. Down amongst the dead men. Down. 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 Down amongst the dead men. Down amongst the dead men. Down. 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 Down amongst the dead men. Let him.